0: I'm actually going to be in a different text of scripture this morning with you than what I would normally be, but I think it will be beneficial and helpful. At least I pray that it will be. I'm going to be departing from First Thessalonians this morning, um, mainly because I spent a lot of time last week doing something I probably shouldn't have done. I watched the news. It's been three and a half months since I've watched the news, so things were pretty different from the last time I watched the news. Um, I'm blessed with not having an antenna at my house, and uh, I ended up going online and actually perusing some of the news broadcast, and I found them disturbing, to say the least. As I looked around and thought about the darkness that we see in our culture right now, the disunity in our country right now, and the fear in the people around us right now, these things seem to be consuming Our thoughts and our minds, and I think that we need to have a word of encouragement this morning to help us see clearly what God is at work doing through his people. And I'm going to take you to a text in Hebrews to help us do that this morning. I'm not there yet, so just I'm glad you're looking, but I'm not there yet. Basically, I I want to try to remind you, in the midst of this darkness and this this disunity, I want to remind you of the importance of our unity and our fellowship And how important it is not only to us personally, but to the world. They need us. There is disunity and chaos everywhere dominating our culture and our world. And we need to be the voice of reason and hope. And I think that this fellowship is where it starts. God ordained the church and the gathering of his people for a very specific purpose. For our edification, yes, but for his glorification on earth. And the church is something that is precious to God. And we should see this gathering as precious to ourselves as well, because Christ gave his life to bring us here. It's Christ who put us in his church and it's Christ who wants our fellowship in the church to flourish and be a testimony to the world around us. of The power of the gospel at work in sinners who've been saved by grace. Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote this church fellowship. When it is healthy and productive is the glory of the world no place no community no fellowship is decorated and spangled with such beauties as the church as the church is when it's rightly knit together with their head each lovingly serving one another i pray that those words ring true in your hearts today because i really truly believe what i'm about to say the gathering of christ church is truly the single most important gathering in the world. We have God's blessing on this gathering. No one else has that. The church is precious to God, and the gathering of God's people should be precious to us. Think about it. When, when forgiven sinners are granted by God to gather together and be addressed by God from his word, it, it humbles us. And and, and then we are allowed not only just to hear God speak, we're able to now resound the truth. We're able to sing the praises that God deserves because he has gathered us here as his people, his precious bride together. And what we need to understand is when we gather together, this is a unique opportunity for us. We can all worship at home and that's important in your workplace, in private. But there's nothing like worshiping corporately together with the body of Christ. When we come here to hear God speak through his word and sing God's praises to him, God himself has promised to be present with us. And he is blessing this holy convocation of his people as we come together in worship and adoration and submission to his lordship over our lives. This is a very unique time and a very unique place. I think sometimes we lose sight of that. But there's something important about the gathering that is unique. It is distinctly Christian. What we come to do is worship the triune God that we heard about this morning. We are to give him praise and adoration. And through that coming to worship, we benefit. And through that benefit, the world sees the power of the gospel that takes sinners who seem to be living in the same hopeless world as they are and then changes us so that they actually come to us and ask us about the hope that lies within us. And that takes place in God's ordained means of grace, which is the gathering of his church. That hope is restored. That hope is revived. That hope is informed. And so this is an important gathering. Listen to uh, what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 57, 15 about the importance of Of this holy convocation Says thus says the one who is high and lifted up Who inhabits eternity Whose name is holy He's utterly transcendent I dwell in the high and holy place And also It's important And also with him Who is of a contrite and lowly spirit We think about why we come here We come here to worship the transcendent God And when we do so, when we come with that heart, we are brought low, we are humbled, we are contrite. And he tells us why he not only dwells in his transcendent glory, but he comes to us intimately in Christ. He comes, he says, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. What a blessing this is when we come together. This is the only place we can experience this. It's a corporate blessing when we are humbled before God's truth and we, with one voice, give praise to God and adoration to him as his blood bought bride. Husbands, do you have a special relationship with your bride? Would you give everything for your bride? Would you love your bride unto death? You would. And Christ did. And we belong to him. When we come together, we're reminded of that. We should be amazed by that, and it should influence the world around us as they see us transformed by that. Just, just knowing that we are in God's presence, I think, has a, has a, a sanctifying effect on us. It, it humbles us, but it doesn't just humble us when we understand it. It humbles us and then gives us joy. It revives our soul to know that we can come before a holy God and bring adoration, bring praise that is acceptable in His sight. I hope that you're always amazed by that when you gather together on a Sunday morning or even a Wednesday night. I think we've lost our amazement over the work of God in the church. And I want that to be restored. I need it to be restored in my own mind. When when I see what God has done to save us and and then we gather together and we can actually testify to it. We can joyfully praise God for it with one voice. I think that should be an absolute amazing thing for us as Christians. It's a miracle. This gathering is a miracle. Do you see that? People look for signs and wonders. This is a sign and this is the wonder of God's power and grace. Sinners saved by grace who come together with nothing else in common but Jesus And we are united to him for eternity. That should amaze us. And I pray that it will. And I pray that it will encourage you this morning in a world that is without hope and lost. They need us. They need our amazement. They need our joy. I think the writer of Hebrews helps us with that. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. The writer of Hebrews tells us why we should not neglect this joyful gathering. In in verses 19 to 25, he gives us really three reasons that I can see why we should gather together often. I'm going to read, actually, from verse 12 to get the full context this morning. But in 19 to 25, we're going to look mainly at these three reasons why we should gather together often. And trust me, saints, this is not a rebuke. All right, you're here. You're gathered. So this is a place to actually come together in God's word and find joy Over this reason that we do gather here often. Beginning in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more where there is forgiveness of these. There is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, what an amazing word therefore is in this text. Therefore, based on all that was just said, 12 to 18, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through The curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider How to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to do that this morning. I want to encourage you this morning by looking at this text. And I think in this text, and this will be my outline, we we can see that that God blesses. His people in a special way when we gather together to do three things. Verses 19 to 22, when we gather together to exalt Christ's accomplishment, God blesses this gathering. And in verse 23, when we gather together to renew our commitment to His Word, to His truth, to our confession, He blesses this gathering. Number three, when we gather together to cultivate encouragement, in verses 24 and 25, he blesses the work of his people as they come together for the sake of Christ. Let's begin in 19 to 22. There in 19 to 22, he tells us that God will bless us in a particular way. And I think that the way he does that is he blesses us with faith. He, he cultivates our faith, our confidence in what Christ has accomplished. When we gather together to, to exalt Christ's accomplishments... God will bless us with joy. When you think about joyfully coming together as sinners and being able to praise a holy God, that should actually amaze you this morning. How can sinners come into the presence of a holy God? Well, there's only one way, and it's through the work of His Son. That should bring great joy when you gather together and see other forgiven sinners among us. Knowing that we can come to him now with full assurance of faith, with with confidence and find peace, find joy and have our faith renewed. Verse 19 reminds us of that. It reminds us that we can draw near to a holy God without any fear of rejection. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, confidence, no fear of rejection here. We can enter the the holy place. The holy place is by the blood of Jesus. We can do this with full assurance or, or with faith, with joyful faith, joyful confidence. And he tells us why we can have that joyful confidence at the end of that passage. We come to this place. We come to the holy place by the blood of Jesus or through the toning work of Christ in our place. We have confidence not in our flesh, not in our ability to please God or bring Him praise in and of ourselves. Our confidence when we gather is based on what Christ has done in our place. And we should have joyful confidence when we come to sing God's praise. If you are born again and you sing to God in worship with the saints, you should be filled with greater faith and a greater assurance of the miraculous work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your place. He wants us to know that. He wants us to experience that. Just just listen to that verse 19 again. You can come with confidence. You can enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Do you hear that? Do you hear what he's saying? You can enter now into the most holy of holies, into God's very presence and give him praise, adoration and do so with confidence and know that you will not be rejected. You deserve that. I deserve that. But yet Christ has absorbed the wrath that we deserve so that we can come into the presence of God with joy and by faith, trust in his work. Our faith is strengthened when we come together as the saints. It's strengthened by knowing how we get into God's presence here. It's through Jesus. Our our faith is strengthened by his work. And when we gather, it, it should be evidence. Think about this. Does does the work of Christ cultivate any kind of, like, Thanksgiving in your life when you come here on a Sunday morning? Do you come here going, oh, we got to sing songs. I have to sing praises to Jesus today. All right, Caleb, do this song, and then we'll kind of work our way through it, and we'll move on to the next song. But I'm really, my heart's just, I'm here, you know. Or... Does the song that's speaking of the work of Christ start to cultivate this joy in your heart, this remembrance of what Christ accomplished so that when you begin to sing about the blood of Christ or or come thou fount of many blessings, when you begin to sing that, all of a sudden you're brought up into the heavenlies. You recognize I am in God's presence when I sing this song of praise. And you can do that with confidence, he says. This should amaze you. We should be amazed and shocked by the reality of verse 19. And you should be amazed, especially if you are at least open about your own struggle with sin. The only way we can come into God's presence with confidence and and bring him anything worthy of praise is because the blood of Christ has covered our sins. And God is well pleased with the work of his son so much so that he can pour it out over us and we can be accepted in his sight. That's how we enter into praise. That's what this gathering represents. The gathering of the saints represents the gathering one day we'll have in heaven before the actual throne of God. This is no different. When we come before God in song of praise and adoration, we are entering into his very presence. I, I think that that would change the way we view things like scripture reading on a Sunday morning. God speaking. Preaching, God speaking. We, we, we come and we, we take in these things, these means of grace so so lightly sometimes, but but they're not meant to be taken lightly. They're meant to be taken as weighty, not to discourage us, but to amaze us and fill us with joyful confidence, a faith that is unshaken in Christ. That's why I can enter into God's very throne room today. Do you think about your songs doing that? Do you think about your reading of Scripture and your response to Scripture as something that God is present, listening to and observing? That's what verse 19 wants us to, I think, grasp. We, we, we can come with confidence into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by faith, by, by confidence in what he's done, not what we could do. Isn't that good to know? We come into God's presence based on Jesus's works, not our own. All of my works are as filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. My my best deed on the best day is no more pleasing to God than a filthy, bloody garment defiled by sin. But Jesus, he comes and he lives the life I could not live. He dies the death I deserved, So that now when he's raised from the dead, he's declaring that we are just in him, justified by his works. And we can now enter into God, the holy God's very presence without fear or shame. Saints, when we come together, that's what we're celebrating. That's what this gathering is about. Just think about this. We are given full access into heaven through the blood of Christ, full access to God, holy God's very presence. And I want you to think about it. God isn't letting us into his presence because the blood of Christ sort of makes us tolerable in his sight. No. No. The blood of Christ makes us loved in his sight. He doesn't tolerate us in our worship. He doesn't tolerate us in glory one day. He embraces us because of his son's great love for us that was expressed at the cross. Think about when you come to worship, when you come to gather with the saints and sing praises. Do you realize that you're doing what no sinner deserves to be able to do? Your voice is being carried into the throne room of God, the very presence of God. And he is accepting it, not just tolerating it. He is loving it because it is the evidence of the work of his son at work in us that covered us and made us acceptable in his sight and loved. I think about that when we come to hear the word. It's amazing to me that as struggling sinners, we still can even grasp anything from God's word. Because, as Paul Priest pointed out Wednesday night, not humbling yourself and not confessing your sin and not dealing with what's really going on in your heart is like putting wax in your ears. You don't hear the word of truth. Yet God, in his grace, has an ability to remove that wax. And, And knowing that I still struggle with that, that I still struggle with indwelling sin and temptation... There are times when I think about coming to God in the midst of a, a fallen condition, in the midst of a sinful act and thinking, I can't go to God. He won't hear me until I get my act straightened up. Folks, that's Arminianism. That's not the gospel. God accepts my voice, my cry for help, my cry for mercy because of his son's cry on the cross of Calvary. That's why he hears me when I'm fallen, when I am struggling in sin. That gives me great confidence. Even if I don't feel worthy in Christ, I've been made worthy, declared to be just by the justifier himself, by his own sacrifice because of his atoning blood. I think that that confidence that we should have, that the writer of Hebrews says here in 1019, I think that, that that kind of confidence will be cultivated if you better understand what Christ did in this. Act of atonement. Go with me one chapter back to chapter 9, verse 11. And if this can't cultivate joy in you, I'm not even sure you're born again. So read carefully. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once For all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves or by human work, is what he's saying, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, Offered himself without blemish, perfectly righteous. How will that not purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We come with joy to serve the living God because of Christ's sacrifice. Just ponder that blessing. Ponder that reality. It's not just a future esoteric hope. It is a reality that's not yet made manifest, but it is the reality of our standing before God. We are his servants in Christ and for Christ's sake. His blood is what covers us. His righteousness is now imputed to us so that we are not, again, just tolerated. We are fully embraced by God himself and we should have great confidence when we come together to worship him over that truth. We can enter... Into God's court now with an offering of praise that is actually pleasing to his ears. I remember when I was born again and I was in a uh, county jail in Okmulgee. The night before, I was angry at God. Things weren't going well for me in college and I was frustrated. And I didn't necessarily curse God kind of thing, but I... But I complained and I was bitter. And then God in his grace snatched me up from a county jail and said, you're mine. And I bowed the knee to Christ in that cell. And all of a sudden, I found my heart full of joy and praise and adoration to this God I had barely even known. And now I knew him because he had chose to know me in Christ. And now my words were pleasing to God because he was changing my thinking, my actions, my very nature itself. So that when I cried out to God, he was pleased, even in my weak pleas for help. He was pleased because he saw that I was trusting in what he provided to make me right in his sight. That should bring us joy to know that we can do that this morning. That You can actually sing and God is pleased. Now, listen, when I sing privately, nobody's pleased. All right. Not even me. But I can have great confidence knowing that God can look past my fallen condition and see the blood of Christ covering my weak singing. And he is actually pleased by the heart's condition, by my desire to bring honor and praise to him. Hebrews 10:20 tells us how this is even possible, how we can even joyfully come into God's presence. And it's reiterating Hebrews nine. It says, we, "We come now by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh." The word "new" there is interesting. It, it means "perennially fresh or freshly sacrificed." See, see, Christ's work on the cross wasn't just something, even though it says it was done once for all, it was done and completed, it was finished, yes, but it never diminishes in power. It is perennially fresh. So we we don't simply enter into God's presence with leftovers. We enter into God's presence with a fresh covering every time we sing praises, every time we gather to adore him, every time we sit under his word being proclaimed. It's a fresh act of sacrifice in one sense that covers us and makes us able to enter into his presence because of his atoning work. That's just amazing to me. And it's by faith in that work that Jesus opened the way for us to do that. Apart from the work of Christ, we could never enter into God's praise, no matter how many good deeds we tried to do, no matter how religious we were trying to be. But by the fresh and living way that Christ gave to us, we can now come straight into the throne room of God. He opened the door for us, for sinners. He didn't crack the door open so we could peek in either. He kicked the door open. He opened it all the way so we could walk in. We can have unhindered access to God now through Christ's atoning sacrifice. Does that revive your hearts this morning? Look, the world is trying to find all kinds of ways to to get to God. They always will. They'll never get there apart from Jesus. You have gotten there because of God's sovereign grace. You should be excited by this. You have what the whole world needs and doesn't even know that they should want. And we get to celebrate that when we come together. And we get to celebrate the fact that we're we're not just barely accepted. We're not just peeking in the door. We're able to draw near to God's very presence. There we can exalt the work of Christ. There we can give praise and adoration to Him now and through eternity. We can do that personally. We can do that corporately. And that's what we celebrate when we come together as a church. One thing that I think that should amaze us today is uh, I heard it this morning in the equipping hour. It's a progressive revelation of God. The Bible is right. Um, Yeah. And it's the same message from Genesis to Revelation. It's pointing to God's provisions for us in his promised one to come. Jesus. Church, if if that doesn't get you excited each week, I've got news for you. We've got nothing else to say. We preach Christ and him crucified. That is what revives the lowly. That is what encourages the weary. That is what strengthens those who are beat down by the world and the culture. This is what protects us from false teaching. We preach Christ who gives us access to God's very presence. And we should never, ever stop being amazed by that. We should be multiplied in our amazement when we come together with other forgiven sinners and see that work. I mean, just stop and look, at, look sideways at each other right now. Seriously. That is the work of Jesus. You are gathered together with forgiven sinners to come as the family of God into praise when we gather on a Sunday. This is something that should amaze us. We can, as a body, we can now draw near to God, not just individually, but we can draw near when we come together to worship God. And we can come together as a family of God and we can bear our scars without shame because they've already been dealt with at the cross. We can share our fears knowing that there's already a provision for us in Christ. And we can look at one another and we can say, yes, we're all sinners in need of God's constant sanctifying grace. But nonetheless, we know without a doubt we can joyfully enter into His presence and He will hear us when we cry out as a body. When we cry out for cleansing, He'll cleanse the church. He'll unite us. He did all this already in Christ. He'll continue to wash that truth over us as we come together as often as we can to give Him praise. He'll do all that because of the Great work of intercession that he has provided for us. Look at verse 21. Here's why we can do all these things. We have a great priest, a great high priest over the house of God, the oikos of God, the household of faith, the family of God. We can come together corporately and do what we can't do privately. Do you know that? This is unique. Corporate worship is God ordained. Sitting under the preaching of the word, the washing of the word being proclaimed is God's means of sanctifying grace to us corporately. It also unites us together in the faith corporately. It also produces a witness of God's love to the world when we live together in Christ's love corporately. This is a very important gathering when we come as the people of God and draw near by faith and worship him And do so with full assurance, knowing that we're not going to be rejected because of what Christ has already provided. Look at verse 22. That's why he says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with absolute confidence, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's telling us here in verse 22 that those those who trust in Christ's accomplishments have already had their hearts sprinkled clean, but they're continually being cleansed. When Peter comes to Jesus and he he wants to wash his feet and, and he says, no, I can't do that. He said, well, if you don't if you don't have this, if you don't do this, you have no part of me. And then he says, okay, do the whole thing. Douse me, right? He was a Baptist, I'm sure, at that point. And he says, no, you don't need that. You, your, your feet are dirty because you're living in the world. You've already been made clean, but you do get a little bit of the dirt of the world on you from time to time. But you can have great confidence even in that. You, you are being sprinkled clean when you come together under the preaching of the word, under the teaching of God, as he gives you the truth in unity and in spirit and truth. I hope that the revelation of your cleansing in the past and the present cleansing here in the present never ceases to amaze you. It should be an amazing thing for us to think about the supernatural work that's going on when we even gather on a Sunday morning. It should revive us. It should, it should help us understand the importance of what this revelation is telling us. The work of Jesus is not just a one-time thing that you, you, you do the deal, you make the deal, you cut the deal with God, and you go on living the way you want. No, he wants us to be continually being cleansed, continually being shaped into the image of Christ. And he wants us to do that by his ordained means. We see that in verse 23. He wants us to basically be able to to he wants to bless us, if you will, with that hope that we are Christ, that we will be cleansed and we will continue to be cleansed until one day when he makes us whole, when he takes away this old flesh and gives us a new body. He wants to bless us with the hope here that when we gather together and we renew our commitment, secondly, he will bless us corporately and personally, practically. Look what verse 23 says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. This is basically saying, I want you to renew your commitment without any wavering. Look, hold on to that commitment with hope, with assurance. Don't let it go. How do we hold on? Well, I I can't hold on to God. God has to hold on to me. How does God hold on to me? Through the preaching of His Word, through the profession of the truth. It's what engages my mind, engages my heart, and changes my life. He says, Let us hold fast or, or commit to the confession of your hope in God's written revelation. That's what He's talking about here. You better cling to this written revelation because that's the hope that you have of God's promises coming to pass. It's there for you to sprinkle you clean when you get dirty, to unite you when you feel division in the body. It's the word of truth that's going to bring you back together. Verse 23 is telling us that our hope in Christ is is revealed here in the word. And it's revived practically when we recall God's word, his promises that that flow out to us through the preaching of his written word. Preaching is a supernatural gift to the church. It's a gift that transcends the the preacher. God often speaks in spite of us. But when we accurately handle the word of truth, when the word of God is accurately proclaimed and taught to you, God is speaking to you. If you disregard that, you have disregarded God himself. Listen, as a pastor, I want you to know something. And this sounds very audacious for me to say this, but I have authority. I have real and divine authority to command you to do certain things, to prevent you from doing certain things as I accurately handle the word of truth. When the word of God is proclaimed through the preacher, the pastor that God's called, There is authority that God has given to him to direct you back to the hope, back to the truth, back to the faith that we have in Christ, so that your life would be conformed more and more to His image. That's why it's so important for us to to recognize that the hope of our our assurance is is grounded in the truth, not in my own personal feelings or experience. I, I cannot trust my feelings. I cannot trust my heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked. I must trust in what God has given to us in his word. That is how I have assurance that I can draw near to God and be renewed, be directed, be corrected. And when we gather together often to to go through that experience together, through hearing the word proclaimed, the the word of promise, the very thing that anchors us to our hope in Christ church, you will be sanctified. This is God's means of sanctification. The washing of the Word. And when we do this accurately, when we do it faithfully, your hope will be revived. Your hope will not waver. That's what he says in verse 23a. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, the, the profession of what we believe, which is our hope in Christ, without wavering. Do this, do this continually, do this constantly. Let us hold fast. That word hold fast there means let us nail down. Let us maintain our hope through the constant nailing down of the truth as we submit to the preaching of the word. That's why it is so important for you to be here on a Sunday. It's not because of the personality in the pulpit. It's because of the personality behind the pulpit. God is speaking to you and he doesn't want you to waver. He wants you to nail down your confession or the hope that lies within you. He wants you to maintain that without wavering. And that's only going to happen when he's speaking to you according to his word, consistently, faithfully, washing you, making you more and more into the image of his son. I really believe the, the way this is sort of framed up here in this text, that, that preaching is like like God's hammer. Preaching is, is what God uses to drive the nails of hope down deep into our weary souls. That's what's going on in preaching. The preacher may not be impressive, and he's often not. But the word makes a deep impression as we submit ourselves to it. Here's what the word will do. The word of confession here... It's referring to our profession of what we placed our faith in, namely, right, the work of Christ as revealed in the word of promise, the gospel and and that gospel that comes to us consistently and faithfully will have a sanctifying effect upon us as Christians. It doesn't just get us in the kingdom. It keeps us growing in the kingdom, growing more and more into the image of Christ as you hear it preached and taught. But. This gathering together often is God ordained. It's something that he wants you to come to do so that you can be under the preaching of the word, because under the preaching of the word, we learn to confess a couple of really important things. We learn to confess, number one, that we who were foul and rejected due to our sins are now loved and accepted by God's grace because Jesus took our place. Because Christ was condemned in the flesh in our place and his blood has washed us clean. We can now know without a doubt that we are accepted in a holy God's sight. Listen, apart from Jesus, the throne that's spoken of in the book of Hebrews, which we refer to as Christians as the throne of grace in the text. It's the only place in the Bible that the throne is mentioned as a place of grace for everyone else. That's a judgment throne where the holy and righteous judge meets out perfect justice against all sins and all those who will not turn to his son. But for us, the very place of judgment now became the place of blessing, acceptance. We learn that through the preaching of the word. We also learn to confess that we as regenerated people with new hearts, as the Hebrews 10, 12 to 14 says we, we've been given the law of God in, in our hearts, written in our heart. It's, it's there. And now we can hate the very things we used to love and love the very things we used to hate. We can now hate our sins and love righteousness, love obedience, love God's commands. We can do that because through the preaching of the word, we learn that through the spirit of holiness, we are indwelt and empowered to magnify Christ. It's the spirit who writes these things on our hearts. It's the spirit that brings conviction and transformation in our lives. It's the spirit that works sanctification out of us. God is both doing the work and he's willing to work. Right. God is the one who is cultivating this salvation out of us. He's, he's bringing it to the top. He's pulling it out through his grace, through his spirit at work in us. And that comes through the constant hearing of the truth. How often uh, it's been three and a half months since I watched the news, but how often do you watch the news? How much time do you spend on Facebook per day? You hear a lot of voices. You hear a lot of preaching, but it's not from God. It's from the world. And, and you need to have your minds renewed daily by the word. And you need to have your hearts and minds renewed weekly as you come together on the Lord's Day to hear God address you. If you want to have confidence, if you want to have assurance and you want your confession to be nailed down, then you must do this because God has willed it. If you are born again, this is your desire as well. God's will is not a mystery. God has revealed his will and his word to us clearly. Go through the Bible and you can see in the New Testament where it's God's will. We do this and God's will that we do that. And Listen, if God's reigning in your heart, no one has to twist your arm to sit under the preaching of the word. You will want it. And if you can't get it here, you'll go someplace where you can. Because you are united to God through the work of Christ. You want this. You want it more than anything else. And God will draw it out of you. He'll draw out that desire because verse 23b says, The one who has caused us to hold fast to our confession without wavering is also the one who promised and is faithful. He's going to nail it down for us. But brother, I want to be in, a, in on that deal. I want to work in the, with him. I want to walk with him in this process. I don't want to just be a bystander. God wants this. God wants me to to work in this salvation in such a way that it's a joyful declaration that I'm thankful for what Christ has done in his work of salvation. He he wants me to do this. And he says, look, I promise this is going to happen because I'm faithful. Do you realize that? Do you you realize that God's going to get this work done when we gather together for the sake of his name and for the good of his people? Our our weekly gathering is where God has chosen to do that. He's chosen to speak to us here. He's chosen to revive us here. He's chosen to remind us of the promises he's given us in his word through the preaching here and the teaching here and through the personal edification we experience here. God, who is faithful, has promised he is going to do this work and he wants us to rejoice with him in it. That's why we come on a Sunday. That's when we come on a Wednesday. Listen, I, I think that it is an absolute shame unless you are ill or providentially hindered for you not to be here whenever the saints gather. I'm not making it a law. I don't have to. The spirit of God who is in you will compel you to hear the word, to submit to the word. To encourage others with the word. And we do that in a way that is God honoring. when We do it together corporately. In verses 24 and 25, we learn something a little different about what God does in this gathering. We learn that God will bless us, not just with faith and hope, but also with Christ's love when we gather to cultivate what he just said. Cultivate encouragement, not just corporately, but personally as we gather corporately. Look at verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, he's saying, let us in light of full access before God through Christ's blood. Let us let us. Why wouldn't you? In light of what Christ has done, the access we have before God to come into his presence to sing praise and adoration. Why wouldn't we want to do this? That's kind of what he's getting at. Let us do this. I mean, why not? Why wouldn't we? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us hold fast this confession and hope, he says in the verse before that. I mean, shouldn't this be the desire of the Christian's heart? Saints, when, when we are drawing near to God through Christ to, to exalt him, to praise him for his great love for us. Wouldn't you think that that would have a sanctifying effect on our desire to draw near to others to share in Christ's love? Isn't that why we come together? This is not a performance. This, by the way, I'll just say it now. Just so we all know I'm clear on this. This is not a stage. There is no performance being done up here. This is a place where the word of God is elevated above you, where we see God and we hear God speak and nothing else. This is a place of proclamation, declaration, confession. But it's not a performance. It's not entertainment. We come here to submit to God's means of grace. And when we do that. We come here to gather And exercise that grace with one another out of the joy of knowing we have full access to God through Christ's blood. And we get to share in that. Do you ever think about this? And maybe this is a maybe this frightens you a little bit, but you're stuck with us for eternity. All right. I mean, we're not going away. I mean, that's the truth. So why wouldn't you want to encourage one another? It's not a place to discourage one another. It's not a place to beat up one another. It's not a place to diminish one another. He says in verse 24 that it's a place that we're called to consider how to stimulate love and good deeds and encouragement. He says, let us think of ways. Consider. Use the mind. Consider. Think of ways when you gather together in the presence of God with full access to his throne in Praise and adoration for the for Christ's work. Think of ways now when you're gathered in the worship that you can now stir up one another. I love this phrase stir up. I don't think the English does it justice. It actually means to take a big stick and poke somebody in the back. It means prod provoke. It doesn't sound as pleasant as stir up. But the idea is, if if you've been brought into the presence of God and you see your brother or sister wandering from that presence, get a big stick and poke him back because he's missing out. Bring him back a line, bring him back around, show him that, look, I'm here. I want to stimulate you to love and good deeds and encourage you. I'm here for you. I want to see good works flow out of you and do this out of love for Jesus. Because that's why he gathered us together. See, our work together, what I'm doing is is monologue here, right? But what we do together is dialogue. And what we do together is the evident work of Jesus working through the saints to make them more and more like himself as we do what he's telling us here. Take the truth you learn, then apply it. Think about how you can do that. So that you can see God's praise come out of those people who may be struggling beside you. Saints, there are people in this church that are struggling over Facebook and posts on there. We need to be careful with how we use that tool. Are you provoking people unto good works and love? Or are you beating them down and ridiculing them? It's time to stop that as God's people. It's time to point them to the truth. It's time to encourage them in the truth. It's time to rebuke them at times in the truth, but do it with love so that the world sees. And trust me, the world sees what happens on Facebook and it brings reproach on Christ's name many times. But we want the world to see that we who have been able to be united in Christ and come into his presence, we love each other enough on earth to actually care for one another. That's what he's saying here. God, God wants us to do this because he wants to bless us. He wants to protect us. He wants to unite us in his love when we gather. And I think this gathering is designed to do that. I think this, this gathering is designed by God to be the forge where biblical encouragement and Christ-like love is fashioned and welded together for the good of God's people and the praise of God's name. That's why this is an important gathering on a Sunday morning. That's what we're called to do. We're to testify to the world That the power of Christ is not something that just changes on the inside, but it changes us from the inside out. By the way we interact, people see that. Go back to Hebrews 10. Look at verse 25. Here's how often we should do this. How often we should stir up one another to love and good works. Shouldn't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. But we should encourage, he says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near Verse 25 is telling us that our our personal encouragement in the body of Christ should be done intensely. It should be done regularly. It should be done continually. It should be done often because, as he's going to allude to in this and as the Apostle Paul alludes to, um, one day this is going to be more important than it may be right now. This gathering, I hope, is precious to you. But there are saints in China that it's more precious to right now because they can't gather publicly. I think he wants us to to see that this, this blessing that we have should be something that we should cling to all the more as the day of Christ draws near. Before Christ comes again, we should be seeing every advantage he's given us in this gathering and using it for the glory of his name and for the good of those in this world that need it. If we don't, we need to keep in mind one day it could be taken away from us. And I'm sure the world would like to see that happen now. Paul and the writer of Hebrews both allude to how important this is because Paul writes to Timothy and tells us that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will eventually be persecuted. There may be a time when we can't gather, not because of coronavirus, not because of uh, a tragedy that happened in our city, but because we're under intense persecution. And I want you to know something. The, The world is is eager for that day to come. The world is dominated by the God of this world with a little g, Satan. And the world loves to do what their master does. It loves to divide us. But this gathering was ordained by God to unite us. So we would stand firm in the faith as one body, bringing praise and adoration to him. That's one reason why we, uh, we don't let as Christians, as a, a local church, we do not let, and you should not let, and I'll, I'll tell you that it's a sin, I think, if you do let... Personal issues and opinions divide you from others in this church. First, Peter tells us that above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Listen, everybody here has an opinion and they're just like armpits, right? There's usually two and they both stink. And I am glad you have an opinion. But if your opinion ends up dividing this body It will be dealt with seriously. We need to have love that's stirring us up to good works and stirring up others to know that what our opinions mean is we're thoughtful about things that are going on in the culture, in the world, in our life. But it doesn't mean we're the authority on the subject. And I'm willing to come together with you and reason over these things, but not divide over them. God wants us to do that. God wants our personal encouragement to reflect Christ's love. And he wants it to increase. As he says there, all the more as you see the day drawing near. That day is drawing near, saints, is drawing very, very near. Dark days that were prophesied about in Jude, in Timothy, and in Peter, those dark days are here. They're here. They may have not manifested themselves in the fullness yet, but they are upon us. And as we face those dark days and the great day of Christ's return, I I pray that we'll see the value of this gathering more and more as more precious to us. This gathering isn't just commanded. This text is often used to try to guilt people into coming to church. I am not doing that. If the Spirit of God can't compel you to come to church, I am not greater than the Holy Spirit. It's it's not just simply commanded to, to be here. That's what it's saying. It's given to us because It's needed. We need it. We are a needy people. Aren't you glad God saves the needy people and cares for needy people? Because we're all needy. It's a means of grace. It's a means of grace that God has given us to help us do some very important things. It's to help us stand out in this dark culture from the world. Coming here will make you stand out from the world around you. Coming here and submitting to the word will help us stand united in the midst of disunity in this world. Coming here and submitting to the word is needed because it'll help us stand up against compromised Christianity that seems to be sweeping through the land like wildfire today. Coming here will protect you from those who reject the authority of God's word to embrace sinful lifestyles as a normative act between humans. It is not. It is sin and an abomination before God, according to his word. We love those who are caught up in it. But we cannot condone it because God will condemn it. And we love them too much to let it be condoned. And we love God too much to let it go unwarned. Coming here and standing up, learning to stand against compromised Christianity will protect us from those who will want to today, of all things, politicize the gospel. Those who want to distort the gospel by equating social justice with the gospel. Since social justice may come out of the gospel in some form, in some way, but it is not the gospel. And if you don't agree with them on that subject, those people will be the ones who slander you, persecute you, shame you and even come after you physically one day. So we need to be prepared for that day and we come here to do so. And just just so we're not overwhelmed by that, let's go to Matthew real quick. I'll end with this Matthew five. Hopefully, this will end us on a positive note here on that subject. We have another way in which God will promise to bless us as we understand his view of the church and what he wants for us here. Look what it says in 514. This is an astounding promise to us, or astounding reality about us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In order, people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all those in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. This is another reason God wants us to gather together often. We are to be a light to the world. We are to be the witness of Christ's work to the world. And, And saints a church that faithfully does what we see the writer of Hebrews tell us, a a faithful church that gathers together often to exalt Christ's atoning death, to to confess every truth in the Word of God and, and live in light of that truth in a loving relationship with others in the church, that church will be the church of Matthew 5. That church will be the one that shines like a lighthouse of hope in the darkness around us. And that church will lead then sinners to the anchor of Christ's love in the storm-tossed world that we live in today. That's why we gather here often, not just for our sake, but for the glory of God and for the good of the lost. Since we have an assurance in Hebrews 10, an assurance from God that Jesus as our exalted Lord and Savior is also the one who brings us into the work here on earth to magnify his greatness throughout the world. And if we faithfully exalt him as a church and we confess his word and live out his love, this church, our church, will never be overcome by the darkness that's around us. We will be a city set on a hill and we will be a light that cannot be extinguished. But saints, we must see the value of this gathering from God's perspective. It's here that the light is to shine out. It's here that our lives are transformed personally as we go into the world. So I just pray that as we looked at this this morning, you understand that God has placed a high value on the church, so high that he sent his son to take our place. And we should never undervalue his view of the church after our salvation. We should see the beauty of this created entity that he has organized he has woven together by his grace and we should value his purposes for us and the people within this place in such a way that he is magnified by the way we submit to his word exalt his work and love his people let's pray that we'll do that this morning father we thank you your word is truth And you have promised, Jesus, in your high priestly prayer that you would sanctify us in the truth. Help us to have a greater view of that work that you are going to do through your God-ordained means that is the church. Lord, you've, you've called us in Timothy the pillar and buttress of the truth, the pillar and support of the truth. We are to hold it forth like those Corinthian columns hold forth those temples. We are to hold forth and declare with great joy and thanksgiving and authority that you you alone are the lord and god and the savior of sinners and that all men should bow their knee and confess your praise and give thanks to you help us to be faithful to the message faithful to the work and let us do it with great joy we pray in jesus name